This podcast was recorded using Rode microphones and technology. Rode microphones, the choice of today's creative generation. And Small HD, real-time confidence for creatives. The weird, the creepy, the taboo, the unsettling subject matter, all are elements that can be found in that classic of movie genres, the midnight movie. If you didn't know, the tradition of midnight movies started in the 1950s when B-movies or films of low social propriety were saved for after hours, where they were screened to gasps and laughter, cult followings, and often humorous commentary from MCs. So from the beginning, the midnight movie has filled a very special need in our culture. Today, there's something about subject matter that pushes the boundaries of what we think of as proper storytelling that also pushes the creative limits in style. Today, we're listening to a conversation with six very talented filmmakers who are using their visual storytelling and subject matter to make some of the most unusual shorts that you've ever seen. And for that reason, they all had their short films in the midnight program of this year's Sundance Film Festival. We talk about making short films from shoestring to top end budgets and using everything from elaborate prosthetics, found footage, meat grinders, and profuse human sweat. If you're looking to take risks in visual storytelling, then you can learn a lot from this highly entertaining conversation. Hey everybody, this is Oakley Anderson Moore and I am on the No Film School podcast. We are here at Sundance 2020 and I'm so excited to be sitting in a room with a bunch of talented filmmakers here who have short films in the midnight section. So thank you guys all for sitting down with us today. Can't wait to talk to you about your films. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. How do you how do you guys like saying midnight section? Because you know, she's midnight section is. Uh, if you sing it like that, that would be perfect. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I'd love to just go around um, and and just have each person tell us who you are and what your film is that you're here with. Hey, I'm Michael Arcos. I wrote and directed a movie called Valerio's Day Out. It's about a jaguar who escapes his enclosure and goes on a killing rampage. Uh, my name is uh, Robin Jensen. Uh, I wrote, directed, and animated a short film called Farce. It's a messy love story. I'm Matt McCormick. I made a short documentary called The Deepest Hole, which is about the deepest hole. Um, I'm Emily Wilson. I wrote and directed Danny's Girl, which is kind of about a nightmarish online dating scenario. Um, Hi, my name is Sophie Coco-Gate. My film is about a 3D printed sex slug. (laughs) Sure is. Best one. one. Yeah. Hi, my name is Oscar Lehema and um, my film is Bad Hair, which is a a short body horror about an insecure guy who tries a hair growth serum uh, during one evening and it all, all goes to hell. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, It's so cool because you're on the same block. You've been in screening your films together. And I love this block. Like your films are so interesting. And just, you know, the first thing I want to ask you about is about this midnight section. Um, And if people are listening, they're not sure what this means. I mean, not only do the films show at midnight, but sort of in the tradition of the midnight films, which were um, sometimes films that uh, entertain subject matter that was not proper for showing earlier in the day. So things that make people uncomfortable or pushing certain boundaries or something gross or indecent, but all in, this, in the name of some kind of interesting storytelling. So my first question is, you guys are all in the Midnight Shorts program. When you made your film, did you see it as a Midnight Short type of film? Um, 
is this a type of film? And if so, is this the type of filmmaking that you um, are drawn to? Or does this just happen to be a film you made that's in this midnight film genre? I personally thought I made a documentary, but I <laughs> I consume a lot of genre stuff. And um, yeah, I'm into like subversive media. So it makes sense. Like, like I, th- I think it was really well like curated and programmed. Like these are my people for sure. Yeah, uh, well, uh, it's an animation film, and uh, I guess when I first started out making films, I kind of made these films, you know, at school. I made this weird, uh, with a lot of blood and sex and violence, and then when you start, you know, to make films and you are trying to get funding, you have to do a lot of uh, compromises, and my films just kind of went more, what do you call it, bland? Bland, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like American Bread. Right. Uh, and then, so this was the first time in a long, long uh, time that I finally just said to myself, I'm going to make a film just the way I want to make it. And that, of course, meant that I had very little funding. But uh, but it, it, I could do as I wanted to do. I never intended it to be in a midnight short or anything. I just did it. The Deepest Hole is definitely a documentary. And I don't think documentary films are uh, normally associated with like the midnight genre. But I, something I've always been interested in with, with making and also watching documentaries is that your traditional documentary is typically kind of boring to watch in a lot of ways. You know, So there has been this movement, not necessarily new, but I think it's really been growing, of making much more artistically charged documentary films. It's certainly more interesting to make. It's more interesting to watch, at least from my opinion. Um, and so while my film is most certainly a documentary, it's also like a psychedelic horror documentary. <laughs> Um, and so I definitely understood, you know, this is not the first time I've made a documentary like this. And I've always kind of been in this weird in-between zone between like documentary and experimental film. And sometimes when I'm in one world or the other, yeah, I kind of, you know, I don't know if there's really a perfect home for this. So maybe that's what I think this program, in my opinion, was kind of like the miscellaneous category. Like all the films in the festival are like, I don't know what to do with this film. <laughs> Wound up going in this program. I mean, and to be fair, your documentary has to do with uh, when the U.S. and Soviet Union dug a hole and then found hell. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that is pretty like, hor- that hor- is, horrifying. You know, satanic quality. That could. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I I didn't write it or make it with the intention of Midnight. Um, I'm stoked that it is. I do like a lot of genre films and dark films, and um, I feel like I'm drawn to kind of like darker subject matter, perverted subject matter. Um, And so I think uh, it makes sense. Um, When I was making it, when I was showing it to friends, they're like, oh, this is like a Midnight movie. This is totally a Midnight movie. And my instinct was kind of like, are you sure? I don't know. Um, So... Uh, but yeah, other films I've made in the past as well, uh, I guess, have shown in midnight categories. So I, I, I suppose that is uh, the type of filmmaker I am, and which is great because I think it's, yeah, you can kind of go balls to the wall. Um, and uh, my film was also uh, self-financed, um, and so I was able to kind of do whatever I wanted. Um, and so I didn't really hold back, uh, which was awesome, yeah. Um, I, I'm not really sure why mine was in the midnight shorts. <laughs> it kind of stuck out. And this is why out. I asked it because I was just like, I was wondering if that was the case with many of you. Like, oh, it is a mid- it could it didn't have to be, but somehow it is maybe curatorially. So yeah, I th- I thought mine stuck out a little bit. It's just to do with like female desire. Why is that like a gross? <laughs> spooky that's definitely subject? disgusting. <laughs> yeah, is that what they're saying? Yeah, 
I don't know. Mine is like really colorful and happy and nothing goes wrong apart from the ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're, I guess, you know, because you're in your animated film, the uh, main character creates a lover that's part slug, part something else i mean yeah. that is kind of an unusual but what about uh, the shape of water that wasn't a midnight feature film that was like mainstream as hell but it's like creature of the black lagoon like fetish kind of it could have been midnight i think it could have been midnight right if i can add one thing i think but your your film sophie and 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 robbins as well both you know excellent animation mm-hmm. but also um you know i think there's a a, a larger idea of what animation is and that gets associated with cartoons and that means family friendly and you know maybe that that could be part of the idea i'm i don't know i haven't seen the the actual animation shorts block here yet so i don't know how family friendly that stuff is but that that whenever i i I always particularly love animations that are decidedly made for an adult audience because it's clearly kind of bending the genre in a, in a way yeah I mean for the two animators because that's I feel like a struggle constantly for people in animation saying this is not a children's cartoon field this field can be just as rich and tell all kinds of stories I mean do you think is that what's your guys's experience in that sense well I, I think that uh, people that worked in animation are very aware of that it's a lot of films made for grown-ups uh, adult films I mean uh, that was that was the films I saw when I was a student. I saw the uh, Schwankmeyer, I saw Bullock's Brothers, I saw Phil Mulloy, I saw a lot of stuff from around the world which was not children's films. So I never thought about animation as as uh, something for kids, but I, I I know that it's the way it's perceived. Yeah, and, but uh, what was the question? I don't know. It was probably terrible, but <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, because we're talking about well, maybe animation if it's so far away from um, what an audience viewer might uh, wrongly associate with animation being something that could be for the family that could have inadvertently added to the placement in in Midnight Shorts. Um, but but it's not a bl- bad place to be. Like the way no, you said I, it, I know. It's like <laughs> right, it's like a like, weird like like if we're in the basement <laughs> or something. Like I don't want to be in the midnight shorts. <laughs> like. I was a little disappointed at first because I do associate it with like bl- uh, blood and and gore. I guess. I, th- I think that the, the fact that your film is there and it is so much more than blood and gore, as with all the other films that are uh, around this table, mine may be excluded. Uh, is that that makes it that's that's I think to me that's the whole point that genre film does not have to it's not it doesn't have to be lowbrow it doesn't have to be all about blood and gore and it's simple and there's nothing behind it the fact that such a varied bunch of films is in this section is I think a testament to the good programming and a testament like to a very healthy genre yeah, I'm happy to be here, guys. Yeah, and you say that now. <laughs> I, th- I think there's an argument to me that slug life actually should be seen by children or teenagers. I think, they, I think, you know, I mean, maybe Early they, morning. You know, a bunch of 14 year olds. They would love it. Nickelodeon. Yeah. Here exactly, we come. Exactly. Exactly. I would have benefited. Fuck Nickelodeon. Yeah, wouldn't we, we, wouldn't we have all benefited from that? <laughs> yeah, experience? I would have benefited from seeing that like at eight, nine years old. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, what? I think so. And the thing about the Midnight Shorts, you know, as a category that you maybe or maybe didn't 
try or seek out to get in you just made a film but it is a place that like we in the film school we always like to cover the midnight shorts because there's always interesting things happening there in terms of what filmmakers are doing if they're taking a certain risk um either in the style they're telling or the subject or in both ways there's always something risky in the midnight shorts so that's one thing i like about it um but yeah and i guess but, we didn't yeah, I mean, we sidetracked for, for, for me for me it was definitely i mean I, I come from a background where I, I worked in Estonia and a local, really, really good uh, ho- short. Uh, it's not even shorts. It's just a regular horror film festival. It's called Hoof. It's in a small uh, beach resort town in, in Estonia. It takes place. And it's really, it's really good. And I worked there first as, an, as a um, volunteer and later I did trailers for them. And I sort of came up that way. And to me, I always loved the feeling that you're in a cinema hall with like 300 people and uh, everyone's like, you know, they're cracking up beers and they're all in one, you know, on, on one wavelength and they know why they're there. And, and, and then this audience lives and breathes as the film dictates and you feel like 300 people at the same time going, ooh, oh, ooh, ha, ha, ha. You know, it's, that's the fucking best. I mean, this, this is, if, if you can, if you can get that out of them, I feel that that's, that's such an enjoyment, of course, and I'm not saying that behind that there can be, you know, world-changing points that you can put into your film and really, really deep ideas. But to me, with, with bad hair, this feeling or this desire to create this feeling in a big audience was definitely what came first, and, and the ideas came second in that hierarchy. So I was very much aware that where I would want to place this film. And if anything, it's been a huge, huge surprise that I'm right now in Sundance, which was not even in any on any radar. Yeah, exactly. Our Holy Mountain was a fantastic fest, which we fortunately reached, which was awesome. We played them fantastic. And, and now being here is just like gravy. Yeah, have um, have you guys been to Sundance before? Um, is this anybody's first time? What's your sort of? Yeah, this is my first time Sundance. Nice. I spent the last like four years like you know dishing out the fifty dollar thing. So like <laughs> three hundred and fifty dollars later, I'm here. I'm very happy about <laughs> not it. Bad, not bad. Not bad. Submission fee. Yeah, definitely my first time. Yeah. This is my fourth film in Sundance, but wow. but uh, but I have to also add a, a asterisk to that because I've probably been rejected seven times i think so that's pretty know. good so odds hey it's yeah i'll take it <laughs> four for 11 that's like pretty not bad yeah i was here once before about six years ago um as an assistant editor on a feature film um but got food poisoning and was down for the count for like four days um so i always told myself i would come back and so this is my first time with my own film nice, nice. congratulations thank you are, are there any foods that you are avoiding right now shrimp it was shrimp oh avoid it shrimp, shrimp guys avoid sometimes shrimp. shrimp it gets you yeah seriously avoid shrimp avoid slugs avoid meat yeah <laughs> just be careful <laughs> referencing the film <laughs> oh it's my first time here thanks for having me it's my first time yeah. awesome so i wanted to um ask you guys about how the making of your films and um i thought maybe we could start um with emily uh, just talking about the style of the film. So like you mentioned, your premise of your film is a, a guy meets his online girlfriend for the first time and there's this shocking thing he finds. Um, so your film has like got this horrifying quality, but also this tender quality. It's a very unusual combination. Um, and can you talk to us about, um, but it's not just the, the story. And that's like all of your films, it's not just the topic that's 
edgy. It's also like the style you're telling the story. And I was thinking about your film. There's unusual angles, unusual lighting, uh, uh, an actor sweating profusely, uh, all things which kind of add to this feeling. So <laughs> talk to us about, you know, what were the strategies um, that you wanted to employ to make your film? And I'd like to hear like a similar thing from everybody. Um, but, you know, let's start with you. Yeah, um, I feel like I've taken everything I've learned over the past like 10 years of editing and just working on smaller stuff to make this film. And so uh, I was aiming high for this film. I wasn't expecting Sundance, but I was aiming high. And I wanted to make a film that had a strong directorial stamp. Um, So I did just storyboard and shot list everything. Um, I wanted each scene to kind of look different, feel different. I wanted to play with slow zooms and pans. Um, I just wanted to like use the medium of film in a way that um, like best tells the story, right? Um, so I think I was just like really thoughtful about it um, and worked with Hunter Zimney, the DP, who's just like awesome. He's like a, a younger guy who is just unnatural. And he's a cinephile. He has like a crazy encyclopedic knowledge for like crazy genre, bizarre films, everything. And so he was just constantly referencing stuff. Like I, we would, you know, troubleshoot, uh, shoot the shit. And I'd be like, I was kind of thinking of this. And he's like, like this shot from this film. Um, and so it was just, yeah, just really just like taking the time to really think about it. Um, and the sweatiness, I just, I love, I love goopy things. That's why I love your guys' film, the animated films, because there's so much like goopiness and sound effects. But I love like goopiness. I love, um, uh, I love cringy moments. I love, uh, yeah, just like, like uh, the sweat, like I, I had a, a bottle of water with Vaseline in it and like every like two minutes it was like get the bottle get the bottle spray them down like even like spraying down the food in it like spraying down the vegetables and just I want to just be sweaty and just gross and even like the kissing that happens is kind of gross and so just I, I like things like um like very just like tactile um yeah can I ask you what, well, how you directed the kissing scene? Like, what was your direction there? Because it's, it's the best kissing scene I've seen for a long time. Oh, thank you. I also, yeah, I love romance, too. And anyway, um, so we... <laughs> yeah, it's we, hot. Yeah, they, I think so. For it's sure. like, oh, I love that. The, for, like, the first kiss. But... Uh, it's, it's very, for, for context, it's, it's very clumsy. But it's, like, very also real life I don't know what that says about me but it's just like yeah. <laughs> no related. it's real life it's real life <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's we've real, all been real. there yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe um, <laughs> we didn't kiss in rehearsal like we didn't so because I wanted to respect them and I, I could sense that they you know we didn't need to go overboard so it was the first time they kissed is when we on set when we filmed and really the the direct I didn't even give them kissing direction other than in the screenplay uh, in the stage direction I say uh there's like a loaded pause where they look into each other's eyes. So there was like this loaded buildup and then they go in for the kiss and they just knew their character so well and the backstory so well and Danny the character was so awkward. So he was playing like awkward and gross and she was playing kind of just more like, you know, a woman wanting to kiss a man. Um, so they, I'll, I'll give the credit to them, man. Like they killed that kiss. <laughs> so how long, you know, is in terms of production, because it'd be interesting for readers um, or listeners to know how long did your production take? Um, you know, what did you guys shoot on? We shot on the Alexa. We had three shoot days. Um, it was probably like a month and a half of pre-production. We had three solid shoot days, one in Queens, one in Westchester County, New York, and one at the Yonkers train station. Cool. 
Yeah, because it's just interesting for people to know, like, what do they need to, you know, just to, for what they want to do. And that makes me want to ask Oscar next, um, kind of about his film. Um, because Bad Hair, it's just like the production value is kind of insane for a short film. And there's, you know, prosthetics, there's a freaking fire engulfing a room, there's stunts, there's VFX and SFX. Um, so, like, what the heck? <laughs> Um, you know, ha- you know what, and they just look amazing. You know, for a short film, um, it doesn't seem anything like low budget at all. Can you tell us about, you know, how you made it, and was this something that the aesthetic, like, you know, you knew what you were doing? How did you pull these off, and why was this like your strategy? Years ago, when I first of all, thank you for all the kind words. But uh, years ago, when I went to a good friend of mine who was producing producer at the time, um, that was about seven or eight years ago when I first started making this, tried to make this, and the pitch of the film was the film was a little bit different back then. But my pitch was that we're gonna make this. It was silly. It was already silly back then. It was still about guy going bald and using the serum, and it gets into his eye and all that. And the idea was to not make it campy. Like, that was the pitch. We're going to do it. Like, we're going to take this very banal, trivial, silly thing, and we're going to just make the heck out of it. Like, we, we will make it as as well as the, this is the best version of this film we can possibly make with the skills we have. And because, I mean, you could make this film. I mean, we could just take a half an hour and, you know, get some Hellman's mayonnaise and some ketchup, and we could make this film all together <laughs> right now. Like, in, really, like literally in a day, and we could be, it, would, it could be very fun and campy. But my, that was the idea behind it. We're going to take this thing, make it really well. And then uh, it was a, a, a long struggle to get financing for it. And in Estonia, for financing, there's not really, I mean, in short period, there's like probably not a lot of private financing in general. But in Estonia, there's none. And uh, luckily, we have uh, state financing. So we have two really good state financing bodies who were fortunately, eventually, not at first, but eventually they gave us the funds. So uh, we got we got funding from there. And of course, still, like we had a very talented crew who worked like half wages, no wages, over hours, like everyone put so much into it, sponsors and the whole shebang. Uh, we made an Indiegogo campaign to for the VFX to get some extra funding. It was really like scrambling all, all, all the time. And um, yeah, so that that's how we made it. And I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I could keep talking about this film for ages because there's just so, so many, every department was so integral to getting this thing right because, I mean, the effects, like if the effects, of course, there's room for impo- improvement, but if, the, for example, if the VFX wouldn't land, like the film wouldn't work, like if the prosthetics wouldn't land, the film wouldn't work. So it was always like a struggle to, okay, what works? Okay, we, we clearly cannot pull that off, so let's just cancel that out right like we really that was also the process like we had some very ambitious plans in the script in the initial script we we just scrapped so that was also a really good lesson actually I think for also the other you know filmmakers I suppose that I mean I think the ambition was bigger so I I still think a lot of ideas were left on the table with this one but I think why it works is that we we made this decision like okay we cannot pull this off quite yet now but people in the cinema will not know this, hopefully, when we may, if, if it works, right? And so, like, how big of a production team, you know, with all the departments are we talking about for your film and how long did it take and, you know, what tools were you using to shoot on to make all of the departments and the VFX work together? Uh, so we shot uh, for f- uh, five days with one extra day for pickups because, uh, and we shot in chronological order. Uh, so we started in a, it was all shot on, on a set, on a soundstage. 
because the idea was spoiler alert that the apartment burns in the end so that was kind of a just a bummer to burn someone's apartment so we at the beginning we, we decided that it has to be a studio and um and that was very difficult because we there was a luxury to grow go go in chronological order because i think like as a directors we all it's, it's a huge hassle live action we short shoot in out of order and with this film especially because like his his costume the main character's costume and makeup gets like so fucked up during the film so if you have to jump back and forth it's like really difficult but it ended up like and we had to like i think i had like 20 more shots of the like fiery inferno in the end which we didn't get so that was also like a huge lesson that stunts and fire and sfx takes take a lot of time uh and uh, yeah so we shot on uh, the red camera we wanted to go at initially we wanted to go for uh, alexa but i think uh, financing wise i we didn't get a good deal so we shot on the red and it was good i mean red gave us a lot of uh, the red camera gave us a lot of room i think we shot 5k if i'm not mistaken and it gave us a lot of room in post so we really uh in grading we really messed up the picture uh damage which was i think it's for the benefit of the film and um, yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff with all the apartments. I, I, if I'm just gonna go randomly, I think we have like 20 or 30 crew members on the on. It's like a big crew. You know, and maybe a side tangent. Um, you know, for example, your so the premise of your film, a balding man uh, tries a mysterious higher growth serum, especially with short films. And maybe, you know, this can you guys can all see what you think. It's hard to get money and it's hard to ask for money um and especially if you're doing something that's you know balding man mysterious hair goes here like oh you know how did you feel about you know how do you get to the point where you're like i'm okay i need to make this i can ask for this money and i don't know if some of you can chime in and we'll talk to matt after because i know his uh uh budget situation is different but you know in terms of people who felt like was was raising money to make your short difficult or how were you able to do it well as far as like valeros yeah it was like a movie that was made for under like fifteen hundred dollars uh but it's like totally compulsive and just like uh intuitive uh i was like totally um i was working on like a pretty proper documentary about like adult private viewing booths like hidden in the back of adult bookstores and uh, i got kind of jaded on it and uh, got obsessed with valeria so for me, it was like kind of like a started off obviously just like me and my compulsions, and uh, I was traveling with my partner to Colombia and just like filming zoos. And uh, I guess on like topic of uh, camera and gear and stuff, I brought like a like a high eight DV and like cell phone, and then transferred it all to VHS and then transferred it back just to kind of have like a cohesive design, I guess. So for you, with the budget of fifteen hundred bucks, that's not necessarily something you need to, um, right? You know, yeah. go out and get. Or I mean, you could. It's still fifteen hundred bucks. But <laughs> yeah. how about the rest of you guys in terms of, you know, how hard was it to fundraise and ask for money for your short? Yeah, in in Europe, we're quite fortunate, I think, because we have uh, state funding. Uh, but then again, it's a lot. It's a battle between everybody to get this money. So there's a lot of competitions amongst filmmakers to get this money. So it's it's quite hard. And um, so for my film, it was just uh, I think I applied um, uh, three or four years and I didn't get anything. Uh, and I kind of decided that I wanted to make it anyway. And my producer said that you you have to have some money. And uh, 
So then we got in the end we 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 we, we got some funding and uh, I think the whole budget is uh, sixty thousand dollars, and it's a twelve minute animated film. And um, so it's um, for me it was. Um, it was hard, but but now it's worth it. When I'm in Sundance, it's totally worth it because I worked, uh, you know, uh, f- three, four, five months without pay, just to get it done. And yeah, does that budget? Did that include paying you, or are you? That include paying me nice. and uh, the composer, and you know, uh, so I got the least least money. Yeah, and then for me, um, I'd made two films prior that I crowdfunded and didn't think I could do that again or didn't want to do that again. Um, so yeah, I just saved up money from being a video editor. Um, and then yeah, decided to jump out on a limb and sell finance, which is, I understood it was kind of irresponsible, um, but also potentially a good investment um, and something that would make me happy in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so I just went for it. And yeah, I'm happy, I'm happy I did. How much did it cost? So I started off making this film, and I I was like, I'm going to make a short 10-page screenplay, and it's going to cost me $5,000. That's manageable. Um, It ended up being around $25,000. And I mean, it's it's so funny because it's all about the type of film you want to make. You know, Oscar, the type of film you want to make, you couldn't make for $1,500. Um, but if you don't, if you want to make a different kind of film or if you don't have that money, you don't want to fundraise. I mean, everyone's so different in their process. And I feel like Matt, maybe you could, what's your situation? Cause I, yeah, I, my, um, yeah, it's always tricky when we talk about budgets because we can talk all day about how our money, our movie didn't cost any money. But, you know, if, if we were to say pay ourselves minimum wage for every hour we spent, then, well, then it's, we're talking thousands of dollars at least tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, and the equipment that we might own that we bring to it but that all aside um the only money that i spent up until entering sundance was i, I did have a um intern who spoke russian who and i paid her a couple hundred bucks to just honor her time and then i also paid the the woman who did the narration for the film um Again, just to honor her time as well. But that was it. So that combined, that was maybe $400. Um, and then, now, of course, once I got into Sundance, then it ballooned, right? Because then I wanted to do a proper sound mix. That cost like a 1000 bucks. Um You have sure. to have a DCP made, right? Yeah, sure. exactly. You know, you start, like, like I probably since then have spent more money on FedEx than <laughs> I spent on the entire budget, you know, previously, you know. So, um. And, and of course, then I was, but, but that said, though, you know, almost all of my film, I didn't use a camera. It was entirely made, you know, uh, just using um, After Effects and uh, combining that with found footage that I was downloading from uh, the Russian archives on, on the Internet. Um, and, you know, Valeria was probably like this, too, where, you know, you probably didn't spend that much money on the film itself until finally you have to, like, oh, now I have to actually do all these other things that these festivals want and stuff yeah i was like totally living off of the funding i was making for this other project and just like neglecting it but i i mean i did travel to uh columbia with my partner and who's like a media archivist and i was just there like grinding and i, I count like the travel and, and but but and you could have too. shot that at, at any zoo where there yeah, was a jaguar right, right? Yeah, so yeah. you know so that's that's but i wanted to be close to the amazons i got like okay, that one like dream fair. sequence amazon yeah, like, yeah. yeah but yeah 
I'm just curious about this other documentary. Is it ever coming out? Are the financiers going to listen to it? There's going to be a lot of shit right now. Be like, hey, we give that money for bringing that up. Well, I mean, like, are you familiar with like adult private viewing booths? Like everybody here, like, like, like originating entirely. Yeah, elaborate. We should watch it. Yeah, we don't know. Like, I guess, like, origin, like, kind of peep show, like that, you know, Paris, Texas, kind of this kind of thing. But then, '80s, kind of '90s. Uh, VHS beta culture um, literally just made these like closet sized rooms where you could go to preview pornography and then it just kind of turned into like cruising culture and like uh, uh, you can imagine what happens in these places everything from just like anonymous sex encounters to like drug use or I don't know gotcha. this kind of thing but um, maybe it's saying too much but to answer your uh, question <laughs> uh, I was like researching like going through all of Florida which have the best booths like the most sleaziest weirdest scariest booths and um uh, I went into one in Tampa, Florida, where uh, I felt like I was kind of intruding on the space, and I, I got a little like jaded on the project, and then fell in love with Valerio. But yeah, so it's like on the back burner, and I'm so, still so living we, off of. The- we, we, will we see it? Will we ever see it? It sounds really good. I, I'll send it. I have like a six-minute like <laughs> sizzle thing, but it oh. like played like at rooftop, and like, and then I just kind of. It, I'll, I'll make it someday. Some, I would I'll like. Watch it. I'll watch it in a viewing booth. Yeah, we'll be we like, should oh, watch that's it together. The use yeah. the yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know that's a good point. I'd like to, you know, both Michael and Matt. You guys both employed um, Matt in your case, almost 100 percent found footage, with the exception of what you uh, made in After Effects, and you employed some found footage because you've got um, the media, the actual news stories from when the Jaguar, the actual Jaguar escaped. Um, you know. Why, you know, I guess it's different. So maybe you could both speak um, to your project specifically, but like, you know, why did you decide, why was found footage something you wanted to incorporate or make your entire concept? Well, I guess, first of all, like an anecdote, my Google search engine is like totally fucked. It's like, like, uh, emu sleeping or uh, seemingly <laughs> dead. Uh, I don't know. But um, like you might be interested in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Murder, yeah, yeah, sensational yeah. story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> For me, I, I didn't necessarily, I ch- it was a total intuitive process, unlike my other work, you know, it's like a, I wanted, I was like, how would a Jaguar make a video diary, and what does he have access to, and um, I guess a, a fun fact about this that a lot of people don't know that I think is very obvious is two of the news broadcasters are, like, fabricated, and, like, um, actors, and uh, one of them I think is very obvious because it breaks, like, a, a news rule, which is, like, a z- zoom-in. But the other one, I think we like killed it, and I won't actually. I didn't notice anything. Yeah, yeah. I had no yeah. idea. I, I, I thought it was all real. I, I, I feel <laughs> pretty good at that, that sort of thing. Stop it! Stop it! Okay. Yeah, you no idea. Stop. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Rode Microphones, the Australian pro audio powerhouse making incredible gear for podcasters, vloggers, filmmakers, and musicians. Rode is at the vanguard of innovation for audio solutions for podcasters, offering groundbreaking products like the Rodecaster Pro, the world's first fully integrated podcast production studio, and PodMic, the ultimate podcasting microphone. Find out more about how Rode can help you cut through the noise at rode.com slash podcasting. That's R-O-D-E dot com forward slash podcasting. Founded by a group of independent filmmakers, Small HD has been innovating the on-camera and production monitor industry for an entire decade. It started by creating the first ever HD monitor that could sit on top of a DSLR. Today, it's products like the 703 Bolt that has an integrated wireless receiver and a daylight viewable screen. 
Small HD is in the business of providing real-time confidence for creatives. With an extremely wide range of field monitors, Small HD prides itself on durability and usability. Whether it's paired with a mirrorless camera during a wedding or used for a video village in Hollywood, Small HD has a monitor for every production. Powerful software tools, a unified user experience, and premium display quality help make Small HD monitors the industry standard. And Matt, I mean, you use all found footage, like I said, um, with the exception of the animation or the inter- intermediary parts. And like you were speaking earlier to the style of documentary, you, you could have gone out and tried to interview people and have yeah. sit-down interviews. Why did you choose the style you, you Well, that, that's always the challenge with any documentary film about something that's a historical subject. And so th- there's, there's very little you can actually film. Now, at one point in time, I did imagine making this as a much bigger project with a larger budget. I was hoping to go to Russia myself. Um, but once I really started looking at it, I, I realized like that would turn the that would that would make the budget of this film go from five hundred dollars to twenty five thousand dollars. And I've I've fundraised enough for movies, and it's just like that that is exhausting, as I'm sure many people at this table know. And then the crazy thing is that I, I my whole life, all the movies that have cost a lot of money never made any money back. Whereas if I can make a movie for less than $2,000, those are oftentimes the ones that I'm still every now and then getting paychecks for. So um, so that that's just kind of become part of my filmmaking process now of just like, how can I do this as cheaply as possible? Now, that's not to throw out aesthetic quality, right? I still want it to look good. I'm not just kind of going for a you know, I'm not going to shoot it all on a GoPro or whatever. I'm going to still take take the time to make it as good as I can make it. But then also what I mean by that is do it as much of it myself. So like in this film, like I did all the research. I did all the music. I did all the, you know, it, uh, it was, it's funny. I think and probably a few of you at this table can relate when you're, when you're filling out all the paperwork for Sundance. And you literally have to type in like at least nine or ten other people's or like like different jobs, producer, editor, sound designer, publicist, you know, and it's just like I keep on just copying, pasting my same information in each one. And, and so then then you start getting all these emails like here's the like this is to the uh, main publicity contact of your film. And then, then, then you get this one to like here's to the editor of your film. And here's a we'd like to inter- invite the editor to a, a editing panel or something. Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> and, yeah. So, so but but in some ways I think that's kind of the – you know, in terms of budgets and money and, and whatnot, like like that's that's what I've I've figured out now is like I've been able to make movies that if I do it all, and can keep that like ultimate overhead say less than ten thousand dollars, then usually you can make that back if not more. You know, whereas the one film in my life that I ever made that was like a six figure budget, like you know that uh, that that that's never gonna gonna pay for itself. So I think that, that that's kind of a, a new, like, I think it's becoming a more common approach, especially when, if, if you just don't have the funds to do it. Um, and I feel like we all kind of have that, like that one Kickstarter in us that we can like hit, but then you can, two, you know, two, two or three years later, you're like, okay, I'm back for more. And hey, like, it's I, me again. I just, the last from that. Me too. <laughs> and that shit's like up there forever. forever. Like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah. I, I just I shaved my hair and they're like, hey guys, I'm back again. Like, it's just so embarrassing. Yeah. Oh my, my haircut Awful. was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Did you also like, shave your head? I remember. No, it was, it was bad. It was like, a, it was bad. 
Uh, <laughs> 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 fundraising is the worst part of all of this. And I then you got to keep updating the Kickstarter. Yeah, totally. I was really bad hey at guys, this, Hey, guys, we're in Sundance. Hey, guys, yes. it's on Vimeo. And yeah. you get trolls. Sometimes you get trolls. Uh, yeah. I some, yeah. Damn. I did. <laughs> <laughs> did they give you money, or they're just showing up to comment and be like, One person Where? gave money, which, of course, I'm grateful for. This was years and years ago, but um, was kind of like uh, constantly checking in about wondering why the film was taking so long to finish. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, oh. Yeah. I'm like, A, this, it always takes long to finish. B, I'm like working every night after my day job. Whatever. It's, it's under the bridge. It's yeah. water under the bridge. <laughs> Just checking in. See, did this film ever get made? Yeah. Fuck off. I'll yeah. tell you when it got made. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you guys all have the luxury of getting into Sundance, so then you can write back with like the most ultimate best update. <laughs> yeah, troll. Like, it's yeah. on Sundance, yeah. bitch. Yeah. Um, you know, one more thing to ask for the people that employed found footage, um, and you know, for listeners using found footage, because people are always a little confused about um, what things you have to get permission to use, what things can be fair use. What was your strategy for your found footage? Much of my film is about some televangelists who started this urban legend about the, this, this Russian digging project that unearthed hell. And, and um, I would say that my film doesn't paint them in a positive light. I actually tried, so the Trinity Broadcast Network, you know, they're um, a, a strange organization. I actually created a fake persona and, and approached them to try to get access to their archives. Um, they shut me down immediately, though, even with my, like, like, like I don't, don't want to go into details, but, but definitely was not presenting myself as, like, this documentary filmmaker making a film mm-hmm. about this subject, but much more of a, a researcher, and I would... Like, I use, love Jesus. I, would exa- I yeah, totally believe exactly, hell is Exactly, yeah, there. yeah. I would use language <laughs> like that in my, in my email about, you know, making it seem like I was, you know, definitely a fan of the Trinity Broadcast Network. Um, but, you know, they wouldn't let me in. Um, no, so I think, you know, with, with back to your question, though, with fair use... Um, it, with documentary work, of course, you still need to know something about it. You need to you you can't abuse it. Um, but with documentary work, fair use is is pretty a pretty broad umbrella. Um, so, and actually, I was just speaking to a lawyer about because because I'm you know now in the process of maybe you know putting this film into distribution, and of course, that's the first question the distributor has is like, do you own all the footage? So, I actually have to present a, a, a letter from a lawyer saying this qualifies as fair use. And so I'm in that conversation with the lawyer and, and they're like, oh, absolutely, this is, is all fair use. And that, but I think, of course, that's documentary. So, you know, a documentary, that's one of, again, one of the reasons why I, I like, kind of firmly have at least one foot in the documentary world is because you can get away with that. You know, with fair use, it's, it's um, you know, if the footage, if the content can be kind of directly linked to what you're saying, and, you know, you're, the point of your film, if your film is somehow commenting on whatever it is, and in much of my, in many ways, my film is about exactly what was being broadcast by these televangelists. You know, so I, they, they they very well might try to sue me, but they won't win because it's it's totally fair use. Now with Valeria, you might, I think I think you'll be fine, but it's maybe slightly. <laughs> You know, and that's what I say. I, I love your film, and I, I have other experimental films that are very. I'm going to send you my a film I made a long time ago. I have a, yeah, heart, I I have a movie of a heartbroken polar bear that reads <laughs> a, a letter. Was it Newt? It wasn't Newt? the Newt the polar bear, was it? No, and it was uh, oh, okay. Joe, Joe Joe Polar Bear was his name. Um, but uh, they should like yeah. tour together. Like, what's that? <laughs> they should tour together. They, they, exactly. They they could be friends. I think yeah. they could totally be friends. They're two you know heartbroken. Uh, carnivores <laughs> and before you answer i just want to for listeners um 
you know, we do have some articles we've published on No Film School about fair use. And if you don't know what we're talking about, there's a fair use doctrine um, that the United States holds where you don't have to get permission to use certain things if you're using them in a way that is fits certain criteria that include educational commenting on something, you know, the way that a book doesn't have to ask permission from uh, some Nazi guy to quote his uh a quote from his rhetoric in their book that's the same law applies to um if you're making a film so if you want to read about that you can and yeah so and so yeah but in your case is different because you're not exactly a documentary which doesn't mean you're not commenting on something but what was your strategy with your found footage i mean for me i i didn't know i'd ever i didn't intend to like really show anybody the project um <laughs> but I, I it started off as like a like literal like just like stream of conscious like diary entry that i sent to my like long distance lover and uh like they were like really really into it and then i was like the next step would be to send her the video diary and um but then i went with it and i thought i had something i didn't know if it i I like kind of speaking on uh different layers and and subjects within my work and i brought brought it to uh borscht corporation in miami uh who has this like subsect of borscht now like biscorp and it's like uh they're fellows and uh I just kind of challenged myself and I brought like a kind of raw like uh, edit of Valerio and I was like I don't know if there's something here like please rip this shit apart and let me know what's wrong with it if it speaks to you or whatever and I I think they really like 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 meme culture and these kind of like all stolen images and stuff like this like uh, it spoke to them in that sense and they also like helped me make it into something better and then from there I thought I had something like a piece of entertainment and uh and then as far as like fair use and stuff like that, I was like already like way deep. Like, I mean, I don't know, but it's hilarious because getting into to Sundance, you get the, like a, without even watching your movie, you get the sales agents and stuff. And they're like, we'd love to see your film. And then I send it and they're just like, well, it's not necessarily. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good stuff. Like, uh, congrats. But, <laughs> that, those, 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 those blind emails we all get. Yeah. I, I, I have finally stopped. Yeah, I was like, no, you you don't really actually want to I want them to see Valerio I'm like (laughs) (laughs) yeah interesting so does everybody get these from sales agents and it's sort of like uh, general things like to see your work and then if they like it they approach you is that what happens I think it's pretty common I think that our email it's just people see the films and start blanket contacting like once that press release goes out like Sundance films well and a weird thing like something that's been happening to me is that since I think it is because I'm in the midnight church I've been getting um uh, fat, uh, horror film festivals have been reaching out to me to um, to to, to uh, enter my film, I'm, and I'm entering. I'm sure here, here you go. I, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, you know, I, I kind of have a feeling they'll, they'll sort of be like your sales agent, We're like, um, uh, yeah, thank you very much for having the opportunity to look at your work. Wait, you played it fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we did, that's where we we screened together. Actually, that's where we met. Yeah. That's cool. You guys met crazy. before this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was like, cool. We were in the same block, actually. Well, perfect. Because that's I wanted to to have Robin talk about um, the making of Farce next. And there are some things between your two films because you use some animation, but some live action. And Robin, I was wondering if you could speak about the making of your film and why you decided to tell it in the way you did, and and speak a little just to your style as an animator. Who. Yeah, I wanted to make the film uh, look like it was naive and childish, just to get that contrast when it really just gets ugly. Um, so I uh, I wanted to make uh, the design um, 
kind of naive and 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 colorful and then it will just go darker and darker and and uh, and then i used uh it's not live action but it's pixelation which is animation of people like uh, jan schrankmeier did so you you kind of take uh, frame by frame by uh, of, of people so you use them as a puppet Okay. So What's it called again? Pixelation. Pixelation, okay. So it's kind of a technique that makes it look a bit odd. My idea was that I wanted to make cut out and mix it with pixelation and just see if it worked. And I wanted to make a film without any dialogue because I just wanted to make it uh, work uh, everywhere, you know. I made some films before and it has been a lot of dialogues. So I just wanted to make a, yeah, a, a, what do you call it? Um, true storytelling. Um, no, I don't true, know. Yeah, that's true, 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 true visual. Yeah, all your Sorry. suckers who use dialogue. There you go. Yeah. It's not yeah. true. No, I love dialogue. I, 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 I love dialogue. So it was a challenge. This was a challenge for me, actually. And uh, were you the one had, that had previously made um, like a really popular children's documentary? Who did that? Yeah, I made a, a documentary. Yeah, I won. A, Which I thought was funny watching <laughs> this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was my f- previous film uh, with the producers, uh, the same producers. I made a film about uh, uh, children at women's shelters. Uh, so that was a pretty serious film. Uh, gotcha. So this is So this was different. something completely different. And I guess that was something I just had to get out of my system because I had made all these poetic uh, films. So, um, and the film was kind of... Um, I did everything, you know, I animated it, I designed it, I did the storyboard, I directed it, I wrote it. So it was kind of a one-man band. So you were also filling out your name on this? Yeah, I d- exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, I'm filling it, copy-paste. Uh, that was that was fine, uh, um, and uh, th- that was kind of the premise to make the film, because we knew that we will never get the funding needed to make uh, a 12 minutes uh, short. I just have to do everything myself, because it's cheaper. Uh, but we was that was important was that the sound was good. We were really I thought a lot about sound because, I mean, if the sound is bad, you know, it, then you don't really have a film. So so uh, th- that was very important. So most of the budget went to uh, we did spend on uh, sound and the composer. So that was two important things before I made the film that 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 was in top uh, notch. So um, so I spent four or five months in an old toilet, which we used as a <laughs> studio, in the back in the back lot of the producer's uh, studio. So Weird nobody choice, by the way. nobody <laughs> knew that I was there, you know. So I was I was alone, and it was the hottest summer in forty years, um, and I was just it was forty degrees and it was terrible. Uh, but then I, I just I just um, I started. Um, I just started. I didn't really have a design. I just I just started, and the design developed along the way. So I had to do a lot of scenes over again. Um, so it was a kind of a experiment, yeah. But I did test the, the one the, uh, the pixelation stuff. I did test to see if it worked to to edit it with the the paper cut because this is all made uh, stop motion it's classical it's underneath the camera it's all handmade no digital well some in compositing some um, parallax view no parallax uh, is that what you call it 
Par- par- two and a half D. Uh, yeah, that's two and a half D. Yeah, mm. to make the camera move in in. But all the original. But you started by like actually having doing it just. Yeah, everything is made uh, on the glass table, and the glass table is in different uh, layers, levels, so that you can make uh, depth. Sophie, it would be cool to to, you know, this seems like a good point to ask you about the process of making Slug Life, and um, you know, I've seen some of your other work, like things you have up on Vimeo and listeners should definitely go click on it when I embed it with this story but it's just like you have such a cool style like so I'm curious what was your process on slug life and kind of fill us in on like what kind of animator like how do you work and then how did it work for slug life well okay so I got a little bit of funding to make slug life um it's not as good in the UK even though we're technically in Europe uh, we for don't, now yeah <laughs> we don't really get much funding as well it's almost as bad as America ah. um, <laughs> how's your bread though because <laughs> we got good bread we okay. got good bread I like that that doesn't have any context really so <laughs> for the <laughs> listeners uh, <laughs> Rob so yeah we were talking joking about American bread being really terrible Rob, Robin Robin is very disappointed with our bread <laughs> well it's for his it's sound pretty... check I asked him what he ate and he said bread and he says it's really bad here and we all agreed <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I interrupted. Sorry, Sophie. Slug life yeah, no, it's okay. Bread, I love bread. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so funding's not that great in the UK either. No, I got seven thousand pounds, which is actually really good for the UK. Um, but that just allowed me to pay my interns, who were actually my my students. So just like poach them because I do some teaching, believe it or not. Um, Nice. <laughs> I'm a Good really idea. bad teacher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm really impatient. Um, but yeah, I I had a studio. It was like underground uh, in a kind of dungeon. Um, we called it the dungeon. Um, the no, we <laughs> didn't really have a toilet though. <laughs> no, we had we had a toilet kind of. Um, yeah, we had slugs as well that would come into the studio at night, which was cool. And they would like leave a, a slime trail for me in the morning. That was really that was really nice. So you could draw from real life. That's uh, well, I, I didn't idyllic. actually see the slugs. I just saw their slime. Ah. Yeah, but that was that was kind of useful. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> what do you want to know? <laughs> but yeah, so so no, that's great. And you know, tell us a little bit more about how do you animate and right, yeah. and you know how did you, especially with Slug Life in particular. And like one thing I was thinking about watching your film and just thinking about this, you know, why these films are were curated together. Just thinking about how in your film you can really see like how animation can really like manipulate things that you you know, manipulate images and things people are familiar with, they can be Im- manipulated so easily. Well, maybe not literally easily, but they can be manipulated in animation to the way that I feel like really is an interesting thing. So like a, a person and a slug, all these things that in real life you as a human never see and makes you kind of uncomfortable when you see it. You know, I thought of that a lot when I was watching your film. So like, how do you animate? Um, well, I actually animate in Photoshop. I'm a bit stuck in my ways. I know there are other softwares that are way better, but um, uh, Photoshop's quite good with its airbrush. Um, it's like custom airbrush thing. Um, but yeah, a lot of 2D animation is quite flat. 
And I don't, I don't like it when people use technology to make things look old. Um, I have a real problem with that. So I wanted to use like a shit software um, and make something look kind of like slightly futuristic. Um, Cause I hadn't really seen airbrush animation before. I think like Terry Gilliam did it obviously um, with like cut out mm-hmm. stuff, but I had never seen like frame by frame airbrush animation. So I was trying to do that, but a digital version. Um, Cause a lot of my work is like quite visceral. Like the subject matter is quite like, you know, like wet and slimy. And I want, I wanted everything to be squidgy. Like you could squidge it. You wanted to squidge it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's like a, a very long process, the coloring to my work, but that's why I, I teach because then I can get the students to come in and I buy them lunch and wine and they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> Sorry, how, how long did you take to make the film? Um, so production was like four months, I think, but I, I did, like I'd been thinking about it for years, so it was yeah it's hard to to know when the idea started um but yeah like animation was four months you know i kind of wanted to ask everybody about why you made your short because with the short film you can do it for so many reasons and some of you already been speaking to this um but you know so i'm just curious do any of you you know did you make this film are you hoping that it could become Uh, is anybody hoping to turn this into a feature? Are you hoping this, you know, is this just something like calling card or is it just something, you know, whatever? Like, what do you guys think and hope that the your short film will do for you? First off, I, I want you to answer that because I would totally live in Danny's girl's like world for like an hour and a half, like what? straight up. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, wait. Let's go. But also shout out like uh, Benevolent Ba, who's like the only one of the crew that's not here. But No, what's a regret isn't here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we both invited two them. Movies. Uh, both bo- both movies it. that I would happily watch. Yeah, totally. Oh. Benevolent Ba, I would live in that world for sure. Like I want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. But sorry, I would. I, if, so, yeah, did you make it a, with the idea? Could you make this into something else, or proof of concept, or you know, was it? What's your plan or idea? I don't know. Yeah, the intention was to get into a festival, get it seen. Um, the intention was not to make it into a feature. Um, I think it totally could. I think there's a lot there. I do love the characters. I think I definitely. I think I could. I think it could. Uh, I'd like to see it almost into a feature that like plays out in real time. And the short kind of plays out in real time. There's some jumps in time. Um, but I think it'd be great to just like get into their courtship a little bit more, build up their relationship a little bit more before she comes. There's definitely room, and I, I would, but that was not the initial intention. Um, yeah, the intention was film festivals and also just to practice filmmaking, just to hopefully everything I make gets better and better and better. Can I just... Add something. I, I just think that every film in this midnight short program is is a short film. It's not a long short. It's not meant to be a feature that it's just edited down to a short film. Every one is just a work on its own. And uh, it, it, uh, I just wanted to say that everybody is, and I like that in a short film that it is a short film. It's, it's true. Like I think I think I have a feeling that uh, in the quote unquote industry, like people are really looking for like okay, like could. Could this be a feature? As as if being a short is not good enough on its own, or if as as if it's like some kind of weird uh, sort of mid version 
that it's it is not fully fully formed yet. But I think to Robin's point, I think it's a really good you know I think a good short film on the contrary is can stand on its own. Of course, it's great. Like I mean, I like we already pointed out. I think I would love to see like a trilogy of Danny's Girl. You know, let's let's make <laughs> it right. happen. Let's go full <laughs> Hobbit with that one. But I mean, uh, I, I I would love to see that. But but it also works perfectly well and as a completely self-contained piece and I think that's really important on a short film yeah I think timing with short films is so important and that's really what makes a short film work is is feeling like whether it's five minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it it the timing the pace the rhythm of it is is vital and I think all the films in this program have excellent pace and excellent timing so yeah I agree with I think that some of these films could be expanded if they needed wanted to be, but they also work just really well as is. So would you guys say, you know, don't get caught up in this idea of like, oh, if I make it short, it has to be for a reason that someone will buy it and it could be a scene from a movie and then I could use that scene in the movie. Like, just don't worry about that. I mean, hopefully, I mean, if you're making a film, like hopefully you're enjoying the process and are making it because you love it and have passion for it. And then that could be a non-issue. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I'll add. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, I would say, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's like if, if you're that worried about the, exactly the things that you just said, then that's not why you should be doing this in the first place. Like the, the, the wonderful thing about short films is it's a little bit pressure free. I've made a couple of features and boy, yeah, that's, there's a lot of pressure there. Um, with shorts, it's, it can just be this wonderful, fun thing. And then, you know, all the good stuff that comes from it is just like extra good stuff you know it's not like oh i'm a failure because i didn't do this it's so i think i think shorts are a wonderful like yeah I, I i think the conversation of what do you do with a short is like well you you have a great time with it is what is the answer it's it's an art form in itself i think but if you can if if uh, i don't want to say that nobody should do it you know you should you know use it as a uh, way to make a feature but uh, I think that uh, f for me at least it, it has to be it, that can't be my motivation because uh, then I don't think I will make my best short film you know maybe that segues into um, unless someone want else wanted to add into the their I had an idea but you could probably cut this out I thought it would be really interesting to uh, start this podcast with the sounds of hell like get us into that mindset yeah maybe you can do like a really like uh tale was was the tales from the crypt type of opening and i'm like ah, yeah. this is midnight screening podcast <laughs> we'll put it over the part where we read the sponsor role like thank you to uh road microphones like ah! yes maybe the last thing i'll ask everybody is to offer up for listeners your advice because you've all made these really interesting films that are doing all kinds of risky things in the storytelling and they're here of course at Sundance which is a dream for pretty much every short filmmaker or any filmmaker so based on what you learned to get you to this point what's your takeaway advice for people listening I mean I feel like fear is a like ultimate crutch I mean you have to like fall on your face, cry, come, succeed, like, do the thing, keep pushing forward. Yeah, don't, like, yeah, be your own god. Yeah, just, just don't forget why you wanted to make it in the first place. Because a lot of people will, will tell you what you should do, you know. But don't forget why you wanted to make it. 
I think um, too often I hear people talking about why they can't do what they make the movie they want to make because they don't have the money. And when they say that, what they mean is they don't have a hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars or something. And I get it. I, some projects and some styles are very expensive to make, but I, I would I think the ultimate thing is like, hey, you know, you can you know if if you can afford the tools to simply be able to edit, work in After Effects, shoot stuff with a smartphone camera. I mean, there are projects at Sundance that are made just with those tools. Yeah, so I think that you know if 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 you're hindering yourself by believing you have to be using the best camera out there and working with union actors and this and that, you know, chances are like like just go make an awesome movie for 500 bucks and then maybe that other stuff will happen. Yeah, I would just say trust your intuition, stick to your gut. Um, if you're writing a screenplay, for example, and you're writing a scene that you find yourself not completely engaged in, that's probably an, a good indicator that you need to change the scene. Um, I always try to be excited by what you're doing because I think that's going to be the best product. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> Me too, actually. Yeah, Let's double down, I, double down. Yeah, I totally, I was like, fuck, no. That was the only thing I was thinking of. I was wording the sentences and word everything. Word. So instead, I'll say, uh, make a film that you want to see that, that is for you and no one else. Amen that to that. That's literally one of the only things I have. Yeah. Okay. Come on. I mean, these are Dig all... deeper. Just say it in another language. Good advice. Yeah. Good. No, uh, I think, I mean, these are all really good points and I'm stalling and I'm about to... I mean, to that's what's hard about like... going last is that don't yes. do drugs. Yes, don't that's do drugs. That's, again, you're taking don't my good point. Don't do drugs. But uh, no, actually, I think I, I, I came up with one, which is uh, a horrible cliche but i think a lot of cliches are cliches because there are also there's a kernel of truth in them and i think it's uh, the one that uh, you should be able to kill your darlings and i think i i mean on, on this particular film also i have this story just very very quickly when we we had a particular prosthetic element in bad hair which was like a hairy hand and people put a lot of effort to make a hairy hand which was all you know it was silicone and they put like several days of work and there was supposed to be a whole sequence with hairs growing out of the hand and like a whole scene and three minutes of screen time and whatever and and on the day we just I, we realized with the ad and the production that we don't have the time like we will we will have to, something has to go out and and we took that out and eventually, and I mean, I had to look the people in the eye and say like, hey, there's an awesome hand, but you know, that's not gonna happen. And it was very painful, but immediately, like after I had done it to the point that, you know, that you should listen to your gut, I just felt so much lighter. I knew that that was the, what the film needed. And uh, and I think ultimately the, the film like really is better for it. So yeah, be, be, be prepared to kill your darlings and, and be, uh, you know, listen to those moments if they come up. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down to talk with us. Your films are awesome. For listeners, check out the corresponding link um, for the print part of this article, and I'll include anybody's links or work or trailers that are up because you should definitely you'll be inspired by these, and it'll go great. So thank you guys so much for, for sharing all your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. Thanks. Thanks.
This is Oaklander some more. Thanks for listening to the No Film School podcast. You can check out nofilmschool.com for the written companion to this conversation, as well as all of our great filmmaking resources. You can follow me on Instagram at Oakley Louise. And don't forget that before the pandemic and social distancing hit full swing, we recorded a ton of great conversations with filmmakers, DPs, producers, colorists, and more. So in these challenging times, subscribe and join us each week as we cover every aspect of this craft, no film school required.